Father, we stand before you this morning, dawn of a new year. And Lord, we just give, give ourselves to you again. And we just thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that there are thousands of reasons that we can think of to worship you and praise you. And Lord, whatever happens this year, God, we want to still be worshiping and praising you, regardless of what happens. When, when it comes to evening time, we want to be worshiping. And when it comes, Lord, to that day, when our strength has failed and our time has come, then we worship you for 10,000 years and then forevermore. What an amazing God we serve. You are worthy of our worship. And Lord, I pray now that as we look at your word, that you would speak to us. And that, Lord, that we'd have ears to hear. God, we don't want to wait till the end of the year before we start listening to you. We want to be listening to you and responding to you right now. So speak, I pray, because we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you take your seats? Thank you, guys. What an amazing song that is. I'm sure we'll be singing that a few more times through this year. I think there's probably, uh, this is the prophetic gift working in me now. There's some of you here, that's a prophetic statement. Can you take it down in the fold back, please, Phil, because that's why the ring's there. Um, some of you here who are glad that 2011 has gone. Am I correct? What a prophet I am. And there's some of you that are thinking, 2000, Phil, you need to take it down because it's ringing. Some of you thinking, 2011 has gone. 2012 has got to be better than 2011. Is anyone else? Yeah? Some of you will be thinking that. Some of you will just be saying, do you know what? It's just another year. It's just the same as it was last year. It's just another day in the diary. Nothing's any different. Some of you are thinking like that, right? Well, what I'd like to do is to take a little look at the screen and see if any of this resonates with you this morning. Thank you. I just can't wait another year. Do you want to tell me what you think are in the top 10 New Year's resolutions? What kind of subjects or themes are going to come up in the top 10 New Year's resolutions? Lose some weight. Smoking. Stopping smoking. Yeah. <laughs> what? Exercise, getting fit, that's in there. Job. Mm, not exactly, but... What? Yeah, well, learn something new. That's one of them. Anything else? That's four. Well, some of the others include stopping drinking, spending more time with their family and friends, enjoying life, getting out of debt, uh, helping others, and getting organized. And in my research for this morning, I found some really crazy New Year's resolutions that people have set as well. Here's one. I will only get divorced and remarried once this year. That's a little scary. I will keep kids safe. I'll keep my kids safe by not texting whilst at the same time eating McDonald's and driving with a frost-covered windscreen. They need locking up, that parent does there. I will lose weight by hiding it somewhere you'll never find it. All right, that one. I will lose weight by inventing an anti-gravity machine. I will find a more accurate scale. <laughs> I will stop buttering my donuts. There's a good New Year's resolution. That's horrible, isn't it? But do you know there is a difference between a resolution and a revolution? And where I've got this title from is there's a Channel 4 program just about to come out called New Year Revolution, 31 Days to Change Your Life. And there are three themes in this program. 
The first theme is stop wasting money. And so Mrs. Moneypenny on the show has 31 days to change you from a shopaholic to a saverholic. The second theme is get fit. And there are four trainers who have 31 days to get you off the couch and get you active. And then the third theme is try something new, where the fearless Annabelle has 31 days to get you out of your comfort zone and doing something that you've never done before. Now, there's nothing wrong with resolutions and with goals, but there is something more revolutionary than resolutions and goals. You see, since the start of civilization, mankind has been looking and trying to find out how do we make wise, moral, good choices so that our lives change and we live better lives. The problem is we've got a real case of mistaken identity when it comes to the solution to this problem. And I've got a couple of stories of mistaken identity to share with you which are personal to me and personal to Dan. And uh, the first one, some of you may be in, uh, have been here on Christmas morning. Anyone here Christmas morning? And you'll understand my trauma on Christmas morning, which has, for the last time, finally confirmed to me that I am not gifted when it comes to children's ministry, okay? And God has seen it in his good will and purpose to bring Dan along. So all age, all age is totally covered now with all age Dan. But what happened on Christmas morning was that me and Dan were doing it together and that little bit when you bring the children up and bring their presents, what Santa has brought them on Christmas morning. And so I was at this side and Dan was at that side and a whole load of kids came up with toys, you know, with guns and, not guns, knives and, no, no, with, with, with teddy bears and cars and whatever, whatever. And then there's this little girl that was only about this big who came up, and I'm sorry if she's one of yours or whatever, she came up clutching in her hand what I thought was a doll because of the way she was holding the doll and it was dressed as an elf. So she's standing there. I looked at the doll and said, that's a really realistic doll, to which she replied, that's my baby brother. <laughs> and <laughs> those of you who were here, those of you that were here will realise then that I said lots of things which I can't really remember what I said. I think... I think some of the things were along the lines of, wow, he really is realistic. It doesn't need batteries. And it wheezes all on its own. Something like that. <laughs> clearly, clearly a case of mistaken identity. And then this week, this week, and I have asked Dan's permission to share this very embarrassing story about him. But, <laughs> but even if he'd have said no, no one. <laughs> This week, we had a visit from the, an auditor um, from Elim, okay, looking at all of our books. And the auditor's sitting in the office talking to our finance guys, and he's in a suit, and quite a young guy, looks 17 to me, but he's a little bit older than that, with spiky, trendy hair. Uh, and he's back to Dan as Dan walked in. And from the back, he looked exactly like a friend of ours and a friend of Dan's, who is also an accountant who works for Hamilton's over the road, who comes and does work with this as well. And so Dan walks in late. <laughs> Dan- <laughs> Dan walks in with his Bible, sees what, who he thinks is John from the back, goes up to him, pokes him with his Bible and says, you're right, you're right, you're right. The auditor turns around and looks at him, to, to which Dan says, you're not who I thought you were. <laughs> I'm now just going to go into my office and just walked up. To which the man fell on his knees and said, what must I do to be said? No, he didn't. <laughs> so a couple of cases of mistaken identity which don't fit the, story, the, the sermon at all, but they're funny stories and I wanted to get them in. No, they really do. And when it comes to this whole kind of idea about how do we as human beings make good, moral, wise choices which change our life for the better, there are three common approaches. Two of them are wrong. 
The first one is the rule book approach. You see, as Christians, we get locked into this as well, that if I just knew the rules and followed the rules, then everything would change. And this whole idea of 31 days to change your life can often be about following the rules, or it can certainly be about the second thing, which is called the consequence approach. So we do certain things, we make certain choices because of the consequences. It's behavioral management. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is something deeper than behavioral management. There is something deeper than just following the rules. There is something that God wants to do in our lives, which will not just change us, but will shape us to become completely different beings. It's about transformation of the heart and of the mind. And the third way, the Jesus way, the way that I want to talk to you about over these next few weeks, is the virtue ethic approach. This is basically this idea where we live out of our virtues, out of our ethics, out of our principles. We live from the inside out, not from the outside in. So it isn't just about changing what I do. It's about changing who I am. It's about changing how I think. It's about changing how I feel about things. It's about change from the inside out. Do you know why so many resolutions don't last? They don't last because we try to do something new before we stop doing something old. And so Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 12, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, we conform to the old patterns of thinking and feeling and behaving, and then we wonder why we can't do the new thing, because we don't stop doing the old thing. But God wants to transform us from the inside out. He doesn't want us to be people that just live by the rules or just by consequences. Well, I'll live like that because it's a better consequence or a worse consequence. But we live out of our virtues, out of our ethics, out of who we are. The reason why many of us don't lose the weight we want, and I'm one of those, is because you say, well, well, you know, we don't stop doing the old pattern of eating. And so we wonder why we can't get into the new thing of dieting because we're still doing the old thing. And Paul says, you know, do not be conformed to the old pattern, the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Following Jesus, folks, in 2012, just as it was in 2011, following Jesus is not about adopting a set of rules or living out of your fear or, or excitement about the consequences. It's about following a new way of thinking and living and being. You know, before we were called Christians, we were called people of the way. Centuries ago in the early church, in the Bible actually, we were called people of the way. And that phrase, the way, is really important. In Isaiah 30 verse 21, God says, this is the way, walk in it. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. The church is a community formed around the belief that Jesus is the best way to live out our lives. We don't do this just because of rules or consequences. We do this because this is the best way to live. We want to live the Jesus way, amen? And in 2012, we want to live out of our virtues, out of those things that God says this is the best way to live. We want to live from the inside out. So what I want to do is I want to encourage you to journey with me over the next 31 days. And this is 31 days, not to change your life, but to shape your life. And if we shape our life in such a way, change is inevitable. Change will come, not because we're trying to do it from the outside in, not because we're just doing behavioral management, but because God is transforming us from the inside out. The way we think, the way we feel, the way we act, not just by outside in, but by inside out. I don't know whether any of you remember this. Um, You ever remember this a couple of years ago? 
This is the fellow that landed the plane on the Hudson River. Not just because he wanted to, but because there was a problem with the plane. And if you remember, the guy actually had been flying for many, many years before this happened. He was right, so he was a very experienced pilot. And what happened was, as the plane was in trouble, um, he realized that, that the only option he had was to land it on the Hudson River. And the last thing, the thing that he said in, in the, to the, on the radio thing to, to the control tower was, I'll see you in the Hudson. <laughs> and they thought that that meant that they were finished, you know, that the plane was going down and they would all be lost. And they weren't. And when you, when you listen to him being interviewed or when you read stuff about him, it was amazing how everybody else looked at him and he was totally calm through that whole process. Now, he'd never landed a plane on a river before after years of flying. But he did it not because he followed the rules, you know, not because of the consequences. He did it because of years of training and habits and getting himself prepared on the inside out so that when he came to that moment of crisis, he could land the plane on the river. Not because of rules, not because of consequence, but because he was living from the inside out. And could it be this year that God could shape us in such a way that actually we are changed from the inside out. We know how to live, not because we have to or because of consequences, but because of what God is doing on the inside. Somebody once said this, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. And watch your character, it becomes your destiny. Somebody else said this, I want to put up on the, on the screen, the development of a healthy spirituality, one that reflects rather than distorts God, is not primarily about rules, but about vision. How many of you want a great spirituality this year? You want to follow God, you want to follow Jesus, and you want to follow in such a way that it doesn't distort who God is, but it reflects who God is. That's not going to come by following the rules. It's not going to come by being focused on consequences. It's going to come when we live from the inside out. And I want to do something with you that I've never done since my time of leading here in the church. Is that I really feel that God has given us a word for the year. Like a watchword for the year. That's never happened in my time here. And I believe that this word, I'm good, God's asked me to speak about it for the next five weeks on one verse from the Bible. So that's going to be a challenge for you. <laughs> and for me. Um, but I believe that this word, if we will let this word shape us, this word is going to bring us individually and corporately into a new place in terms of our experience. It doesn't mean we're going to have difficulties. It doesn't mean we're not, you know, that we're going to not face problems. It doesn't mean any of that. But it means that God is going to do something in us in such a deep and profound way that change will be inevitable. It will be a revolution, not just a resolution. I believe that it will change us in terms of our own spiritual lives. I believe it could impact marriages and families. It will certainly impact this church. And dear God, please, it would impact our community and even our nation. If you want to know what the word is, it's from the book of Hosea, chapter 10 and verse 12. Here it is on the screen. I'd love us to read it out loud together. If that would be good, you will be fed up of this word after the next five weeks. Or you will, it will be so in you that it will just live out of you naturally. But this is an amazing verse in the Bible. So can we say it together? Is that okay? Let's read it together. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. You may have noticed this stuff over here. 
Now, being as practical as I am, I haven't got a clue what any of that stuff is. But, but this image, this metaphor of farming is not only in that verse, but it runs right the way throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament. And we're going to be using this over the next few weeks and it'll grow and develop, hopefully. We may even plant some stuff in that soil and see some things grow over the next few weeks. We've got some seed down here. And, and, and in this verse, you see these words, sow, reap, break, seek. And there's something very proactive about that. And they're things that we do. But they're not just rules. They're not just consequences. These things are virtues. To live your life in such a way that you're sowing the right things. That you're reaping in the fruit of unfailing love. That you're breaking up your unplowed ground. That you're seeking God until He comes. They're virtues. They're ways of living. You know, and we, we, we do that not because we're told to, but because that's who we are. We're people who sow the right things. We're people who reap love. We're people who break up the unplowed ground in our hearts. And we seek God until he comes. And the context for this verse in the book of Hosea is that after the death of King Solomon, his son Rehoboam led the nation in a course of turning away from God. And eventually the, the nation was split into two and, um, and came into captivity. And, 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 and Hosea was one of the many prophets that God sent to the people to call them back into a right relationship with himself. And in this verse, Hosea calls the people of God to live out these four virtues, these four principles. And if they do, the promise is that God will respond by pouring out his righteousness upon them. Now, I want to be really clear here. I am not saying that we do this in order to get that. There is so much of that in the body of Christ and there's so much of that in our culture, which is very subtle. And, and often very destructive as well as sometimes there's some helpful things in that. But I'm not saying that, that we do this in order to get that. I'm also not saying that if you live like this, you will never have any difficulties in your life. I am not saying that. But if you live like this, God will pour out His righteousness on you. And what does that mean, His righteousness? Well, it, it, it's a metaphor. It, it's an image that's used a lot in the Bible. In Psalm 72 verse 6 it says, He will be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. Ezekiel 34, 26, I will bless them and the places surrounding my hill. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. Hosea 6 verse 3, Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge Him. As surely as the sun rises, He will appear. He will come to us like, simile, Okay, like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. I believe that we're talking about two key words here that God wants to bring into us as individuals and as a church. And they're the words blessing and breakthrough. And when you think about the blessing of God and you think about God showering his righteousness on you, I'm not just talking about what God does. I'm not even just talking about God's presence. I'm talking about God himself. You see, what the word says there is that he will, he will come to you like winter rain. In other words, if you live like this, if you sow, if you reap, if you break, if you seek, God will come to you and you will know him. And it will be just like rain that falls on you when you're in the middle of a dry place. Isn't that amazing? And I don't know about you, but I need God's blessing and God's breakthrough in my life. Anyone agree? And this year... Please, God, let this be a year when we experience a greater degree of God's blessing and God's breakthrough in our lives. We are called to live this way 
live out of these virtues in a real context, in a real world. What kind of world are we heading into in 2012? Over the next few weeks, when I speak about these things about sowing and reaping and breaking and seeking, I'm going to talk about them in the context of the real world. We're going to talk about the workplace and and what what the call of God on your life in the workplace. We're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about the real world in which we live in and what do these things mean in the real world. But as an overview, as I was preparing this, in fact, these four things just came straight out of my head and onto the paper. I think we're living in a future fearful world. We're living in a world that is so fearful about what the future. You will all know that this is 2012. And according to Mayan prophecy and the film, this is it, all right? This is the last thing. In fact, we were were praying about this earlier on and and one of the worship leaders said, uh, if it is this, I'm going to get a Ferrari and do it on a monthly repayment basis. (laughs) One of the worship leaders, I'm not telling you who it is, but there was only one this morning, so there you go. <laughs> but you know, not just because of that stuff, but we're living in a world that's so fearful about the future. You just talk to anyone. You know, last year, 2011, began with civil unrest in the Middle East. We had unrest in our own country in the summer. Remember that? And then there was unrest in the Middle East again and in Russia at the end of the year. It was like a, it was bookended and right in the middle with unrest. We're fearful as we go into the future. But how are we as the people of God meant to react in a world that is fearful of the future? Well, we sow right things, don't we? We reap, we break up and we seek. Regardless of what is happening around us, that's the kind of people that we are. We're also, the world is economically uncertain and politically fragile. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, I just saw a headline on one of the newspapers you know, and, and there's, oh, there's something about the hysteria of our media that we need to think about as well. But this headline said, six weeks to save Europe. Who'd have thought that? Six weeks to save Europe. The economic and political situation of the Western world and of the world is incredibly fragile and uncertain. That's the kind of world in which God says so. See, as Christians, when things get tough like that, we can think, oh, no, I can't sow because it's this and this. We are called to sow even when it's politically fragile and economically uncertain. We're called to reap. We're called to break up. We're called to seek God until he comes, regardless of what is going on in our world. And the fourth thing that I think summarizes our world right now is relationally complex. I don't know about you, some of you who are older in years, you've seen how society has changed, you know. You are the pre-Twitter, Facebook, blogging generation. In fact, most it's only been 10 years. All that stuff is in the last 10 years, you know that, don't you? None of that stuff existed before 2001. No Twitter, no YouTube, no Facebook, no, none of that. And if you look at how relationally complex we are, you know, there are 500 million users of Facebook worldwide, and I'm one of them, that's fine. One billion tweets go out every week, yet... Only 30% of people in the UK even know the names of their neighbours. So so we're so connected relationally, but the real people that live right next to us, only one in three even know their names. That's scary, isn't it? And what about the shape of family? Talk about relationally complex. And please, any statements I make this morning are in no way a judgment on you in your situation and where you are. It's just to highlight the fact that it is so complex these days. Two out of five of all marriages now are remarriages. 
More than half of the remarriages that have kids involved will end up in divorce. One in two cohabiting couples where there's a child present, they will split up before the child's fifth birthday compared to one in 12 married couples. Our attitudes to sex are radically different than they were two or three or four decades ago. And and I think when you look at all of that, you think, wow, it's such an incredibly complex world, isn't it? And we, as the people of God, and I understand some of you here may not consider yourself to be Christians. That's absolutely fine. We're glad you're here. But we, as the people of God, we are called to live out virtues. We're called to live out the Jesus way, regardless of what the world is around us. And into that context, God says, you be people who sow the right things. You be people who reap love. You be people who break up your unplowed ground. You be people who seek God until he comes. Because he's coming. And he's going to shower righteousness, blessing and breakthrough on you. So how are we to live this year? What I want us to do just in a few minutes before we go into a time of communion... I just want to just overview these four things and then we're going to spend one week on each of these four phrases over the next few weeks. How are we to live this year? Are we going to be shaped by our culture? Are we going to be shaped by our media? You know, can I just say about the media? (laughs) And they've got a job to do. But you know, when you see all these headlines, please don't believe the hysteria that they can create. I was chatting to someone in the council recently and we were having a meeting about cuts and all this kind of stuff and political ideology and we differed on a few things and that was all good. Um, but we were having a really nice chat and we were both saying, he said to me, do you know what? He said, one of the problems is that with our media that says, you know, the, the economic situation, and it is challenging, you understand that, and for you personally, for you personally, it's in, it may be incredibly challenging and I'm aware of that. But he said, do you know what? If all these predictions are right, then what's going to happen is that we're going to go back to the standard of living we had in, wait for it, 2005. So, so I'm not diminishing your individual situation if you've lost your job or whatever. But the reality that all of a sudden, the idea that all of a sudden we're going to be like back to, Vic, to, to Victorian era in Charles Dickens, that's not reality. But there's an hysteria that's created by the media. And we need to be aware of that. We are not ruled by the tabloids. We're ruled by that, aren't we? And who God is and what God says and how we're to live our lives and handle our finances and, and invest in, in legacy and invest in other people's lives. It's governed by the Bible, not by mass hysteria created by our media. Are we going to be shaped by our culture, by our media? Are we going to be shaped by our past? I'm really praying that over the next few weeks, many of us will step out of the past. We will step out of the past that's gripped a hold of us and we will enter into the future that God has for us. We can be shaped by our past, we can be influenced by our past, but we are not defined or controlled by our past. Do I hear an amen? amen? And if we want to step into the new, we've got to step out of the old. And sometimes, someone shared with me something really powerful this morning and hopefully that they may share that with you or at some other point. Where God spoke to him over Christmas about letting go of something that was good and successful and God-honoring. But God said, let go of that. That's powerful, isn't it? Letting go of something that may even be good because actually God has something for you which is better. Or it may be that that season is over and stepping out of the past in order to step into the new. Are we going to be shaped by our culture, by the media, by our past? Or are we going to be shaped by virtues? principles that God has put in his word. And so here they are, four of them. Sow for yourselves righteousness. 
right living, the principle of sowing and reaping. We're going to look at this next week. But it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The man who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. See, this isn't about I sow in order to get what I want. That's not what the Bible says. It's not as that I give this money so I can have more money, or I'll give you my old car so I can get a Ferrari. All right, that's not what any of this is about. What this is about is if you sow in the Spirit, that's where you're going to reap from. If you want worldly stuff, then knock yourself out. But that isn't the way of Jesus. And that's what it says. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Could it be that this year, 2012, God could get a hold of you and me and us and shape us in such a way that this year we sow righteousness wherever we are. Wouldn't that be amazing? And reap the fruit of unfailing love. The word unfailing love or the word love there is the Hebrew word hasid. It's the same as the Greek word agape, agape. It means grace. It means the unconditional, unmerited love of God. It's the most supreme kind of love. And what I believe this verse is saying is that we're going to reap the fruit of unfailing grace. We're going to be people who live in and who live out grace. So we're going to live the way we live, not because we have to or because we're pressured to or because we feel guilty or because we feel fearful, but because God loves us so much that we're going to immerse ourselves in the love of God. And when you're loved by Father God so much, you can't help but by giving it out. That's the kind of people we're going to be. We're going to live in grace and we're going to live it out and we're going to push it out and carry it out. Could it be that this year God could shape us in such a way that we live in and are carriers of grace. Number three, break up your unplowed ground. Originally, that was fallow ground. It was like in a, in a farmer's analogy of a field that was productive and that was fruitful. But then the farmer takes the fruit out and actually then leaves that field fallow for a period. But the problem is if he leaves it fallow for too long, then what happens is that the weeds come and the thorns come and then it begins to get hard. And then when the rain comes... Nothing absorbs, it just knocks off. Because what was once fruitful and productive is now hard. There's a word for many of us in that, isn't there? Areas of our own life that perhaps were once fruitful and fertile and productive, but now are fallow and are hard and are unplowed. And God needs to break up those things. But actually God says, you know what, you've got to break it up. God will inspire you and God will move and God will convict, but we've got to break it up. We've got to take some tools down and we've got to break up the unplowed ground in us so that then when the rain comes, it's going to be fruitful again and it's going to be fertile. Could it be that this year God could shape us so that every part of our field is soft and fertile, ready to absorb the rain that he sends? And finally, seek the Lord until he comes. Wow, how many of us would say, yeah, seek the Lord. But no, that's not what it says. It says, seek the Lord until he comes. Could it be that God could shape us this year to be people who seek God until he comes? Wouldn't that be amazing? And I'm convinced this morning, guys, that over the next few weeks, I really want to encourage you, please do all you can to be here every week if you can. If you can't, get the podcast, but journey through these four or five weeks with us. 
So I believe this is a foundational word for us as a church. And God's going to then take us into different areas. I believe there will be seasons when it will be about sowing. There will be seasons when it's about reaping or breaking up or seeking. But, and I believe God will bring us back to this verse from time and time again. But I also believe that as we travel through this year, we will see individually, as families and corporately, we will see times of blessing and breakthrough. Amen? We need it.